0: This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.
1: Good afternoon. This is the part of GYC where you get to learn Australian. It's my pleasure to be here with you this afternoon. Have you been having a great Sabbath? Oh, that's good. In Australia, it's a tradition on Sabbath afternoon to have lay activities. I hope you're n- not going to do that over the next 50 minutes. Because if I see anyone having a little snooze in their seat, I might come down and wake you up. My wife and I work with children all over the world. But, you know, we have, a, we have four of our own children all grown up and we're kind of at that empty nest stage. It's very nice. And not only empty nest, but emptiness financially. They don't come tapping us for a loan every week. It's lovely. But we work with some of the poorest children in the Southeast Asia region, countries like Philippines and Sri Lanka, uh, Cambodia, Burma, and Thailand. Some beautiful kids. And I just put a few of them up on the screen because they wanted to say hello at GYC because they couldn't make it themselves. So you can, you can wave back if you like, but it's okay if you're embarrassed. No worries. I want to tell you a story because, you see, you've, you have to forgive my lack of eloquence. I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to theology school. In fact, I, I failed school at year nine. So I'll do the best that I can today, but I'll tell you some stories at least. And I'd like to take you on a little journey. Some time ago, I was on a river in India, the Ganges River, and I was taking a trip to have a look at a place called the House of Death. And as I was rowing down the with my boatman down this river, I was able to see just this incredible sight of people washing, bathing, rinsing, drinking the water of the Ganges. Now, it's pretty dirty. It's um, it's got floaties on top of it and it's brown. You know, it looks like a, a chocolate milkshake or a caramel milkshake from McDonald's. It's uh, and it's thick. But I came to the House of Death, a quite interesting place. And you can see there on the screen this building to your left. It looks a bit skewed because uh, you know I uh, I'm not very good with the camera. But this is a place where devout Hindus come to die. And they believe that there is meritorious favor in dying by the Ganges River at the house of death where they believe that they will receive a special dispensation to eternity. If they can die in this disgraceful looking building and their bodies burned by the Ganges and the ash thrown out into the river, they believe that there is merit. But there is a downside to this rather naive and twisted theology. And that is that some of these people unfortunately don't die quick enough and they're taken out of the house of death and left in the street to die because someone else is more open to dying quicker. And so they're abandoned. And this day that I was in Varanasi, I was with some friends and we went to the Sisters of charity hospice that takes care of these poor people these aged cripples mostly that have had strokes and are suffering in terrible pain and they're left to die there was one lady who rats had been gnawing at her head because she had been left in the gutter and was unable to move and I spoke with this lady from the sisters of charity a nun spoke perfect English and I asked her I said why do you do this job with absolute pronoun- uh, profound theological eloquence. She said, I, now I must preface this by saying the, the Sisters of Charity hospice is a building almost as grotty as the house of death. It doesn't have electricity and it has this old iron door that creaks as you walk inside into the darkened room where these old people lay on pallets and stretchers on the floor. And she said with such eloquence, where else would I want to be? I get to hold these people in my arms, and in their last dying moments, I get to share with them the love of a Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, this reminded me of experiences, but it reminded me of my own. I haven't been to the house of death on the inside. But you come to a time, you come to a place, sometimes in your own life, where you feel you may be at the house of death. You wonder, where to from here? And I'd, this same day, I'd looked into the eyes of these children, desperate kids, needing something, needing food, needing shelter. They were living in little huts with, uh, made of sticks with cloth and tarpaulins across the top of them. And it took me back to a time in my life where I didn't live like that, but where I made a choice that I would do all that I could to help children like this. Let me share with you some testimonial time. That was the last truck I drove. I drove 5 million kilometers in that and other trucks from one side of Australia to the other for 17 years. That would be like driving from Phoenix to Maine every week there and back. 9,000... 600 kilometers every week. I don't know how many miles that is, about five and a half or 6,000 miles, I think. And it was during that time that I met this gentleman. He was a very nice man. And he said to me, uh, David, he said, um, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And I thought, oh, no, one of these religious nuts. I wasn't religious at all. And I was in this little tiny... uh, little tiny town, we call it a one-horse town, you know, and, uh, and even the horse had run away, it was so small. And there was, I, my friend, he was, the, uh, he was the local everything fix-it man, and I was there, we were chatting over a cup of tea about whatever it was, and, and he was telling me about a ma- an, uh, an article he had read in a magazine called Lock, Stock and Barrel, some shoot 'em em up cowboy magazine, and uh, the article was about the New World Order that I knew nothing about. And he was telling me about, or oh, in the future you might have to chain down your fridge because all the f- Fruit Loops are going to come and steal your food, you know. This is the time of the New World Order. It's all going to be weird and dangerous. And uh, anyway, I'm just smirking away to myself thinking the man's crazy. And then this guy said to me, you will not get through the future unless you have Jesus Christ in your life. Well, I was very patient, and I was—I showed the respect that this man, who was at least 20 years older than me, should deserve. And I—and I listened as he talked, and he talked. Believe me, he talked. He talked for three hours. You know, he just—he had it all to say. I—I learned so much in that three hours that I'd forgot it all in the next 15 minutes. But, but anyway, he—he—he he, he was a very interesting chap too, and he'd been to all sorts of interesting places, so it wasn't so bad. But anyway. At lunchtime, I was getting a bit hungry, so I walked across to the takeaway food place to get some food, and uh, and he followed me. He wouldn't give me peace, and so we're walking across, and I got my normal lunch, which was probably I can't remember, but it would have been at least one hamburger or a sausage roll or something like that, and some coke and an ice cream and a chocolate bar, and and uh, and then he said, he said. You don't need to worry about all that stuff in the future in the New World Order because you're not going to live long enough. And he starts pointing out what's on my plate. And then he he gives me this health message. You know? I was very thankful for that man. Because, you know, about 15 minutes after I left that little one-horse town, I was driving in my truck and I felt this incredible conviction. I thought, what he had in his life, I needed in my own. You know... uh, it was really it it was so simple this man you know he had a lot to say but he had a lot of interesting things and he talked about jesus and it all sort of made sense so i i drove into perth a remaining um, 6 or 8 hour journey and anyway i i got to i got to the uh, to the office at the freight uh, dispatch yard and and i said there to the to the secretary i said oh here's my uh, You know, here's my manifest with all my paperwork. And by the way, actually, i have known her for a couple of years. So I said, oh, by the way, I've just become a Christian. I said, I'm going to be one of those Seventh-day Adventists. And she said, oh, I'm one too. You know what? The first thing that I thought of was not, hey, cool, we're both Seventh-day Adventists. Why didn't you tell me two years ago what he told me yesterday? You know... Let me just, this isn't, don't worry, this isn't, a, uh, this isn't an appeal, it's a challenge. You go out of here and tell the first three people that you know that you're friends with, who you are and what you believe and why you believe it and why you think Jesus is coming soon. Because she didn't. And I've thought about that many times. When the opportunity comes for you to share Jesus Christ and you zip and sit in silence, don't hold back. There's crazy truck drivers like me out there that need to hear. And so she said to me, would you like to go to a youth rally tomorrow? Well, I said, yeah, sure. I guess it's Saturday, I won't be working. So, uh, she says, I'll meet you at the truck stop, I'll pick you up, we'll go together. And in the morning, uh, I, I, I put on my best clothes, which was a pair of old blue shorts and a blue singlet. You know, not this $30 suit I picked up in a cheap market in Cambodia and uh, I hate these things I tell you what (laughs) anyway and she comes in this old, clapped out, rusty Mazda 626 and she's got her two sons in the back covered in pimples and spots from too much pizza. And I think to myself, I'm not going to this youth rally because look at the car, it's not going to win anything. And look at the youth I've got to hang around with. I didn't know what a youth rally was, you see. And, uh, and so we... we I, then I think, no, well, I did promise, so I, I'm going. And so off we go and uh, we arrive at this park in the middle of in the middle of the mountains and, uh, and I discovered that a youth rally is a religious congregation and there's a preacher. And uh, I'd asked her when we pulled up in the car park, where's all the fancy cars and all the hot rods, you know? Anyway, I was learning, but it was okay. Now, there's another thing that happened as well. I had a problem and, and that was because I, I'd just become a Seventh-day Adventist and I just told you earlier, you know, I used to drive a lot of miles every week. Well, you've just taken one-seventh of my working week away. God, you need to provide a way out for me because I can't physically do that many miles in that short a time. And I needed to be able to work on the Sabbath. I had a lot of financial commitments. These trucks don't come cheap. And I was up to here in debt. I needed this work. So I prayed for two days as I drove along. I did other things as well. Let me show you. you shouldn't, don't, don't tell anyone about this. But anyway, I learned to read while I was driving. I used to read comics. Anyway, it's all right. Straight roads in Australia. It's all right. And um, honestly, I only ever ran two people off the road, and it wasn't my fault. And, and so I started reading a Bible instead of reading comics. And... Um, and I was I was reading, and I got to this place about Joseph, and he meets his brothers. I'm crying. I'm 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 reaching for a tissue in my you know as I'm driving along. This is an amazing story. And I'm reading. I'm I am reading i did not know where yet to start, so I started at Genesis. When I got to the dispatch office on the other side of the country a, a day and a half later, and. Uh, I went in the office, i had been worrying about this, I've been praying about this for two weeks. I was wondering what this man was going to, he was like the owner boss person that makes sure that you, uh, you know, you uh, keep your truck moving because his freight needs to get there fast. And so I went in the office and he, and I, and I said, I need to talk. And he sort of looked over his glasses and he gave me that look as if to say, you didn't crash the truck, did you? And, and I said, I said, um, look, I've become a Christian. It all sort of fell out wrong. I've been rehearsing this for two days, you know. And, it, and I just said, oh, I've become one of those Seventh-day Adventists and I've got to stop working when the sun sets on Friday because it's my new religion. And he, he took off his glasses and he turned around to face me and he said, David, he said, you need some religion in your life. You can have Saturday and Sunday if you want it. And you know what? I was so thankful you know, I didn't even check the speed limit as I was driving down the freeway. I was on cloud nine as I was going home. And, um, and, and that's where my Christian experience really began. Having read the Bible, and I did, I've, someone gave me another book as well, Patriots and Prophets. I'd never heard of such things. And, and, um, and it was a good book too. And I learned to read that while I was driving. I got the big print version. And... Um, and I didn't know it was a series, so I, I got the whole series and I read it and it was so good. I read it again. It was great. And uh, anyway, and I thought, there's other people that must be like me that want to hear this good news. Let me go and find them. So this was the pre-Google days, you know, so I got, I got the phone book out. And, uh, and I, I wanted to find the busiest place in my home city, which is Melbourne, the best place to be in Australia. And... It was the number 96 tram stop in Burke Street Mall in the city centre. So I decided that's where I'm going on Saturday afternoon. My mates can go lay activities, but I'm going to talk to a few folk. So I'd walk up to the tram stop, and I'd, before anyone could say no, I'd say, G'day, how you going? You know, that's how we do it in Australia. G'day, how you doing? And I'd shake their hand and say, I'm Dave, and I want to share with you about Jesus Christ. And before they could say no, I'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you've got to hear this first, and then you can say no. And I'd tell them a little bit, not much, just simple stuff, you know. And, uh, and I'd say, and I've got something for you to read. You can read, can't you? And they'd say, yeah, sure. And they'd take it, and I'd say, thank you. Now, you're going to remember what I told you. Yeah, I'm going to remember. And I'd, I'd walk down the tram stop a bit further, and the time I got to the end, they were all rushing to get on the tram because they didn't want to talk to me anymore. And I'd get back to the first person, I'd say, did you forget? No, no, we remembered. Anyway. Where would you start? You've got to start where the people are, right? Anyway, we had a chat to, over the time, there was, there was two mates, we used to go together. And uh, we were as mad as cut snakes, that's another good Australian expression. And the three of us, sometimes four, um, we um, talked to 21,500 people over a few years period time. It was a great experience. We got very professional at this. What we used to do, we used to take a little table and put a few other things on there as well and then we'd, we'd do rent a crowd. I'd get them to stand around the other side of the table and ask pretend questions and that would draw a crowd and then they'd sort of, you know, anyway. And, um, but there was still, I felt, let me be honest with you, let me be frank with you, I still felt there was something incredibly good about what we were doing but... I was missing something very, very important. There was, to me, what appeared to be an, a holistic part of the gospel message, what I call the uh, the hands and feet, the dirt under the fingernails, the doing. You know, the bit where I feel more comfortable when I don't have to wear a coat and I can roll my sleeves up. You know, and, and get in and do stuff. I'm, I'm a you know truck driver, farming background. I like to do stuff with my hands. And, uh, and I wanted to do something, I, you know, not just preaching, talking all the time, you know. And so, uh, so let, me, let me take you on a little bit of a journey. Is that all right? I'll tell you a few more stories. Okay. This is where you need to listen because now we've, we've had the fun bit. This is now the serious bit. Let me tell you, there are 12 million children enslaved against their will today, this day while we're here in Phoenix. Many of them are forced into prostitution. This is real, this is how it is, and this is today. Children are not for sale, but it happens. And as a Christian, as a father, and as someone I know who has seen these children and worked with them for so long, I can tell you, when you look into the eyes of a child that is held in bondage, and they appeal to you, Even if they cannot speak their language, their eyes will appeal to you and you turn away and say no and do nothing. You have missed the most momentous opportunity of your life to share the gospel message as a living testimony to this child. We have to do something. We cannot just look and look away. What would Jesus do? Let's have a look in the Bible. Learn to do good are we still learning? I'm glad there's three honest people here. (laughs) Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphan and fight for the rights of the widow. Did you know this afternoon when you came to the plenary session that you'll be seeking, helping, defending and fighting? There was a time in England, which is my birth country, where there was a great man, William Wilberforce. You may have seen the the great movie Amazing Grace came out a few years ago. William Wilberforce was a great statesman as it were, a great man that stood up for the rights of people and he and along with his friends they began a process which took many years, 17 years to help to free slaves and abolish on the other side of the Atlantic the disgraceful trade of slavery. Finally it came about. He was a man that stood up in the face of political correctness and said, this is wrong. The Bible today speaks volumes. It tells us what pure religion is. It tells us about emancipation. It tells us about freedom and what it means to bring freedom to others. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our fathers means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. Now I'm going to read that backwards if you are being corrupted by the world it is because you're not caring for the orphans and widows and you don't have pure religion that the father likes do you like it that way because that's how it really is freedom it does come with a price look at this freedom this is freedom on the face of a child that was suffering the indignity of slavery The Bible tells us in Isaiah, remove the chains of oppression and the yoke of injustice. Let the oppressed go free. Share your food with the hungry and open your homes to the homeless poor. Give your clothes to those who have nothing to wear and do not refuse to help your own. It's very clear, very clear. There could be no argument. There could be no misunderstanding of what Isaiah is saying to us. There's a certain desire for justice. Jesus shared it, and he showed it. We can do it. We need a new William Wilberforce in our century. Two centuries ago, he stood up. Where is the, where is the, uh, the new man that's going to stand up? This lady had had 15 children. When I met her, her oldest was 14 years old. She was this pregnant with her second. Her first was on her arm. 15 children, 10 had died. 10 deaths in one family. Why? Extreme poverty. This is one of our sisters. She is an Adventist sister, one of our own, same faith, in another country. And this is her home. Check out the cooking pot. That's where she cooks. That's her bed. The two children close to her are her own. The others are just kind of and ways that came in for the photograph. And she lives in destitution. And she lives in poverty. Her children are malnourished. So we got them onto a feeding program where they came along for three healthy, nutritious meals a week. One of them happens to be on a Saturday morning. Special day, Saturdays. And because it was on Saturday morning, we thought we'd uh, do some fun stuff for the kids and started a VBS program. Because that's what you do on Saturdays, isn't it? And the mothers were involved with this program as well. They got to work a number of shifts through the week in the community garden, which we provide. And they grow food. And they cook it themselves for their own children. And after a while, these children are no longer hungry and malnourished. And when these children get the tick from the municipal health nurses being healthy, the mums can apply for a microloan. And today, let me tell you, Sonia, our friend, is not just a happy mum, but her faith in humanity and in her God, our God has changed. I'll introduce you to a verse that you may or may not have read before. Microfinance is an incredible concept and it's right here in Scripture. If there are any poor in your towns, do not be hard-hearted and tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them what they need. It didn't say give, it said lend. That's a new concept, isn't it? We lend. And so microfinance, we lend small amounts of money, $120 at a time. And Over the period that we've been working and we now have thousands of microfinance clients, we have used this as a bridge into communities that we would never otherwise be able to go. And I can tell you that we are, with our women, we are speaking the words of Christ to the men in the mosques of parts of this world. Because the doors have been open, and in the Philippines, we have the only Sharia approved microfinance program in the whole country. And we are brought with welcomed, open arms to work in impoverished communities where Islam is the status quo in religion. Jesus will find ways for us to work, to share his word, if it is our will to work with him in partnership. Also in these communities, we see them that are ravished by typhoons. And many of you would have remembered, only a year ago, the super typhoon that hit the Philippines. When your house is made of sticks and straw, a typhoon will rip it to pieces. Hurricanes, typhoons, cyclones, they're just so destructive. And we found there, we have this beautiful, um, this beautiful mother. Her name is Anna. And Anna... A Muslim lady was struggling to cross the river with her little child to get to safety. Her house was demolished. She lost everything. The river just took the whole lot away and she was left destitute, hardly even with the clothes on her back and certainly none for a child. In an instant, her life was just and all her possessions was just flushed away. She came desperate for help. We started a program. Our staff went out and did baseline surveys and discovered the needs in the community. People needed clean water. There were diseases which were endemic. They needed food. They needed shelter. They'd lost everything. We gave food. We opened our uh, opened our school. It's like the verse, uh, "Opening your home to the homeless poor." We opened our schools and our homes where we have so many other children, and we squeezed these families in and had lost everything and had nothing. You know, they're funny guys. They'd even brought their dogs, we had to accommodate their dogs too. You know, they came in the school classroom and, uh, and they brought their cooking pots and they, we would give them some rice and they would cook it up, but it was okay, we were helping them. And it was at this time that many of the the, the families in this community got together and they came to us united and said, We need help, but we want to help ourselves. What can we do with you to fix the situation so we can have housing? And so, very generous people back in my country, they raised some money, and we were able to provide housing kits. And one representative from every single family came, and they worked, and they had to do a minimum hours of work. And for that, they would get a housing kit. It was valued at $220 and it had some lumber and some nails and a hammer and a few bits and pieces and some iron for the roof. And they could rebuild their lives again and have a place to sleep safely. And so these ladies came to work. Now this grandma came along. She's pretty cute, hey? She has no teeth. And she, you know a hoe, right? You know for digging. You know what I'm talking about she can hoe a quarter acre a day. She's 64, 65 years old. And she said to me, I have just my children, my grandchildren. There is no one else to look after them. I'm fit and strong, but I have no home. You must help me. Anyway, I said, yeah, no worries. We'll get you started over here. I said, do you mind if I take your photograph? And she said, She's trying to smile, but then she's trying to not smile. She's got no teeth. And uh, it was a little embarrassing moment for her, and uh, I, I was trying not to laugh because uh, I'm just human. And um, stop laughing. And I said to her, I said, do you mind if I put your photo on Facebook? And she thought I said, you've got a face like a book. But anyway, it was okay. It was okay. You know, she worked, and she worked hard, and she got... There was another lady and, and she, her husband was a working away and the typhoon had struck and destroyed their possessions and she had some children and they were sick and she had no one and she was struggling and she said, I can't come. I've got to look after my sick children. We said that's okay and she had a buffalo and, I, and so the buffalo came to work for five days in place of her and we reckoned that the buffalo would plow faster than her anyway. And so. You know, but the the deal was that they helped themselves and here was a community that wanted to help themselves to get out of poverty. And the day when the lumber arrived and the building materials arrived, they were so happy because they had done the work themselves. We had just provided the, uh, the equipment. And our volunteer program, and you may not know, but you need to know and I'll share with you at the end, but we have an amazing volunteer program and there were so many volunteers that came from Australia Sorry, there was none from the U.S., but we're going to change that. And, uh, and they came over and they helped them, to the, and they built with their hands the gospel of the dirt under the fingernails, doing something physical as well as just the preaching. They go together. And, you know, Anna, the Muslim lady crossing the river, She came back. She was the only lady that came back. And she said, can I please work a little longer? I want a house with a cement floor. And so she worked an extra week for two bags of cement. And she mixed the cement with some mud. And she's the only lady in that community today that has a concrete floor. You know, uh, she has such um, such a desire and a hunger for truth. She no longer wears the, the hair covering. And she has found a faith, a new faith. We need you. There is a difference between needing and wanting, and I know you understand that. So let me clarify. We need you, not we want you. There is a difference. We just came the other day, my wife and I, to this beautiful uh, part of the US from Thailand. We were there with a group of 74 volunteers that had given up their school holidays to come and work amongst some of the poorest people in that part of the world. People from Burma that have fled ethnic cleansing to come across to live in refugee camps, to live in no man's land, or to sneak across the border into Thailand and we worked at a number of different sites. But this is a place where we focus some of the attention and some of the finances that we have. I'm going to read to you because I don't want to say this wrong. I'm going to read to you a letter that I received from a girl in this area. My name is Mutu. I'm just a young girl who has come from Curran State in Burma. I grew up in a small village along the Thai-Burma border where the Karen and the Burmese soldiers always fight. My parents are just poor farmers. Like me, they want to live in peace too. For many years, whenever there was a battle, they escaped together to a safe place. After I was born, their escape became slow as they had to carry me with them. It was very difficult. They had to hide themselves from Burmese soldiers, many times going without food, nothing to eat for days. It was a great risk for me and for them as well. They knew that I would be shot or killed. There were bombs, there were mortars, and there were shells from the soldiers. Because I'm a girl, my parents were very concerned about my safety. I remember one night that we had escaped from the soldiers we were hiding in the jungle. My parents just hugged me and cried. They talked about their concern for me. They thought I was asleep. So I heard all that they said. They said they have to find a safe place for me, a place where there was no soldiers. They took our animals, they stole our crops, they raped and killed my friends. All I wanted to do was go to school and live in peace. MUTU is like many thousands of girls and boys in this area that live and struggle. MUTU is a young girl. MUTU has had to live through things that no child should ever have to live. And the pain and expression of her face is representative of the life and the narrow choices that her family were forced into. Look what the wise man said. Speak up. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor. And so my, I'm not appealing to you, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm not going to... Uh, Appeal to you to uh, suddenly jump up and speak up for these people. But I want to say solemnly and declare to you that if you leave this place and speak up, God will be with you and bless you as you do. There are thousands of people that you can speak up for. We need a new William Wilberforce. We need someone. Are we or are we not the church of God? Are we? We are. Then as a church of God, we can do something for these people. Because the scripture tells us, speak up. Will we speak up? This boy came. You can see he's in pretty bad shape. Look at this. Ellen White has to say... Orphans may be ragged. Actually, before I say this, I want to tell you something else. Where I come from, she's not so popular. But where I come from, she's very popular. Orphans may be ragged, uncouth, and seemingly in every way unattractive, but they are bought with a price and are just as precious in the sight of God as our own little ones. They are God's property for whom Christians are responsible. And put your hand up if you're a Christian. Then you are responsible. Put it down if you don't want to be responsible. Thank you. I'm just checking who's listening. These are God's, our responsibility. Six weeks later, the same boy. Six weeks transforming lives, restoring dignity, bringing hope, and bringing Jesus Christ into their lives in a very physical way, initially, and in a personal way introducing them to a father that will never let them down. There are children there today that live behind barbed wire. I can assure you I was there the other day. They're still there. 220,000 people in refugee camps, nine camps along the border, still living behind barbed wire today. Still washing like this, still queuing up to get their water like this, No, turn on the nice tap, and out comes the the hot water from the faucet. You just go there and join the queue. Let me tell you about some of the work we do in the schools in this area. This is the most modern device from Apple. It is the new stone tablet. (laughs) And they don't use a stylus pen. They use a rock pencil. This is innovation from Burma. this is it. They have nothing. My friend in pink, Kuti, has devoted her life to serving the poorest people on earth at incredible risk. Her brother was caught, tortured, and murdered by the soldiers on the other side because he desired to share Jesus Christ in a community where it was dangerous. And for that, they took his life. These children are amongst the poorest children in the world. They will walk 10 days to any health services. There is no vaccination program in their community, but there are landmines to remind them of the fragility of their life. This is one of the small schools that we're supporting with Adventist teachers so they can hear a wonderful message of hope in a place of hopelessness. This young girl, 12 years old, who should be in school, is carrying a 25-litre, I don't know how many gallons that is, divide it by four and a bit, 25 kilograms of water on a head strap, up an embankment, out of a river. She doesn't go to school, she's a water carrier. Will we speak up for the rights of this girl, as we're called to in scripture? In my country, on the back page of the newspaper is always the sport. And they use words like hero, if someone can kick a ball from here to the end of the stage there, you know. These are my heroes. These are the people that sacrifice their life at incredible risk to work in communities where there is such poverty. But there is a certain richness that they see because they see a rich and fertile land for the gospel seed to grow into life And they work in these places because they see that Buddhism has lost its appeal. It is failing people. And Christianity gives them something to hope. And this young girl came to me one day. Her name is Perry. And Perry said, Dave, please, I need you to support. She was going through college. Her father had died. His dying wish was, finish your studies and go back. Go back to the community where you came from, where we are, and bring Jesus back with you. And so she went, and she was just a year and a half away from finishing college when her father died, and she, will now, she has got her, uh, her scholarship, and she will go back to share Christ in this community. She and others like it, they will forego the opportunity to come to a wealthy nation where they'll earn big money. And for $30 a month, they will work in some of the most remote, desolate areas in danger because they believe strongly in the cause that we're here for, the Great Commission and the Gospel, because they want to see it being spread amongst those of the poorest nations on earth. $30 a month will be her salary. How many earn that in an hour? Well, you can afford to sponsor people like that. You come and see me later. Chained. Chained. And alone. I want to talk to you something. Talk to you about something that's very serious. I started by telling you how many numbers of children. Just to put that in perspective, that's sorry, three hundred three thousand three hundred more children each day that are trafficked against their will. In my country and yours, you can buy for between $25 and $75, a line, a packet, whatever you call it, of speed, coke, ice, you call it what you want, we call it what we want. They all have their colloquial names anyway. Depending on the purity and depending on the availability, $20 to $75. You can buy a gun in Africa between $1 and $15 and ammunition so plentiful they'll give it to you for free. But you can sell a girl every day 20 times a day, every week, every month, every year. And the average girl in Asia that's chained and behind bars and that has been forced to work as a prostitute from the age of 4 and 9 and 12 and 16 is $78,000 a year. And when we run a rescue program that frees 12 or 13 girls, we've just cost someone a million dollars that keeps those girls. And that's why there is some danger in the work that we do. Just two years ago, we lost two staff. They were shot and killed because we were able to rescue someone. Let's see what Romans has to say before I prepare for the next part of this talk. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you loving? Are you loving the man that stands outside the Sheraton that says, Happy New Year? If you love others, you will never do them wrong. To love then is to obey the whole law. You must do this because... You know that the time has come for you to wake from your sleep. You're not sleeping out here, are you? After lunch. I hope you only had lettuce. Nothing stodgy. For the moment when we will be saved is closer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. Day is almost here. The night is nearly over and day is almost here was written two millennia ago. How much closer? now than when Paul wrote this to the Romans. I work in places where tribes have yet to hear of Jesus Christ, but I can assure you that the human traffickers are already there. What's going first? The people who will pimp and prostitute the girls or the gospel of Jesus Christ? Dare I say, you know the answer. Let us stop doing the things that belong to the dark, Let us take our weapons for fighting in the light. Let us conduct ourselves properly as people who live in the light uh, live in the light of day. No orgies or drunkenness. No fighting or jealousy. But take up the weapons of the Lord. I'm just going to go back there. Let us live like people who live in the light of the day. I want to address a subject. Not theologically. I'm not very good at theology. There are a number of mitigating factors that keep children enslaved. One of them is pornography. Pornography is keeping girls chained. In my country, I'm sure the law is very similar to your country, if I see a crime being perpetrated, and if I'm walking along the street here and I see a girl being raped in the park and do nothing about it, I don't know what your law says, but in my country, I'm in trouble because I kept quiet. But to view online or in magazine form content that continues the brutalization and torture, degradation of life, and the ultimate death of a child who becomes a woman, who smiles on cue because she knows what will happen if she doesn't because she's faced the pain of torture before. And as one after another after another drop off and die, this is voyeuristic murder. It's not pornography. God sees we don't need to. Let us live like it's the light of day. No orgies or drunkenness, no immorality or indecency, no fighting or jealousy, but take up the weapons of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop paying attention to your sinful nature and satisfying its desires. A clear, holy calling. A clear message from Isaiah. A clear message from Solomon. Speak up. Fight. Defend. Learn to do good was our first Bible verse. Who's still learning? I'm glad there's more honest people here now. This young girl, it's not the place to tell you what happened to her, but I can assure you this, in the number, in the couple of years that she's been in our care, she learned something fundamental. Forgiveness. She learned to forgive the man that abused her that enslaved her and it brought her freedom. Programs like this help in the cause of emancipation to really bring freedom. Children are not for sale. I'm gonna read this verse and I'm just gonna ask while I'm reading it if my wife comes out because she's gonna share something with you. The greatest one of the world is the one of men men who will not be bought and sold. Do you know this verse? Do you know this passage? Mark it down. Men who will not be bought and sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Is there a good man out there? only one (laughs) is there a good man out there because we need them we don't want them we need them men I'm appealing to you you set your moral compass straight and you stand up for the rights as a father as a male as a head of a spiritual family you stand up for the rights of the poor that is a gospel appeal if my wife can just come out and she's going to share a testimony with us we have a a program in the philippines blessed home it's where we care for many of these victims of sexual abuse and violence and. It's a difficult task. I'm going to let my wife introduce herself. Come up here, Esther. They're not so scary, it's all right. They've eaten lunch already, they won't eat you. My
0: name is Esther. When I was 19, I was trafficked and forced into prostitution. I was forced to smuggle some contraband from the Philippines to Japan Upon arrival, I was taken into a secret place by the Japanese Mafia known as the Yakuza. How did this happen? As a child, I grew up in a slum area. We had no proper kitchen, we cook on fire, we had no proper toilet. The whole neighborhood shares one toilet. We had no running water. We had to fetch water from afar. We were always hungry. One night, there was nothing to eat, and I was starving, and I couldn't go to sleep, so I had to chew some cardboard. It was really tough. My parents worshiped the spirits. And one day, my dad became Christian. And since then, they fought a lot about religion. It got so bad that they had to split up. So my siblings and I were taken into rural area to live in a small thatch hut all by ourselves. I am the eldest and I had four, five other younger siblings. And I was only 12 and our youngest was only two. Just imagine looking after young children when I was only a kid myself. My mom was not allowed to visit us, and our dad only checked us on a weekend. And during this time, my very own dad abused me. I was too scared to talk to anyone because he used to beat us up. Our situation became worse when my dad lost his job and we were forced to be put into different places and away from each other forced to work in return for food and shelter. When I was 18 I was recruited to work as a maid in Manila. But I was exploited for a few months without any pay, which left me homeless, with no money. I felt so vulnerable, just like so many other girls who are far away from home, with no money, forced, with narrow choices. Just like what I did, I I took the risk to apply for a job as a singer in Japan, only to find out that they were trapped in prostitution. Fortunately for me, I was able to escape the Yakuza. But with no money and no passport, I was eventually uh, caught, detained, put in a cell, and deported back to the Philippines. But God is good! Amazing circumstances happened in my life that brought me to Australia to start a new life. I was able to uh, finish my studies, and I became an accountant. I had my own business and looked after my clients with their financial affairs. And one day, I had a client. I used to go to their home office, and I had noticed wow they have a loving family and then i found out that they were christians as we did bible studies i found out that they go to church on a saturday that was just so weird but in 2010 i was baptized in seventh-day adventist church in salisbury brisbane australia Same year, I went to the Philippines. We had a family reunion. And I spoke to my dad. And I said, Dad, what Jesus did for me at the cross, I forgive you. It was very, very difficult for me to do that without God's help. And so... I dedicated my life and and, and do his work, helping this ministry. And I joined my husband to help the poor children, the destitute children. So my question is, being a Christian, what would you do? It's about time to put your faith into action.
1: Thank you. The lady in yellow on the screen, she's coming. I see her down here. If we can just have that, there we go. Her name is Som. Som came to one of our medical programs. She wasn't sick, and neither were her children. But she had a bigger problem. Som... That night was to be trafficked to work in Malaysia as a prostitute, and she came to see if we could take her children. How the story unfolded, let me back up. When Som was this pregnant with the little fella just there in front of her, her then drunken husband had taken a big bladed machete and he would decided that he was going to terminate the pregnancy right there right then with a one swipe to her abdomen she put her hand to protect the unborn child and took the force of that blade across her arm leaving her in need of surgery and hospitalization she had no money useless husband ran off and she was left alone she borrowed $50 at 30% interest per month. She's illiterate, never been to school, couldn't even write her name, agreed to the terms and conditions of a loan that she had no idea of its ramifications and within a short period of time, unable to work because of the loss of the motoring of the arm, she found herself with a debt close to $500 she had a young baby and no one and her other kids to look after. And so the one who took advantage of her and gave her the loan was the same person that had made her agree that if she couldn't pay the loan the children would become his property to exploit. She had begged him Take me, not the children. And that had brought her to our medical clinic in the suburbs or the urban slums of Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Because that night, she was leaving on a plane to Malaysia to work as a prostitute, to pay back that debt. Reality was that she was never going to come back. She would never clear the debt, and she would die there. And we would have her children. There was a volunteer team from Australia and there was a gentleman in that team and he had heard this story as it was interpreted and he pulled out his wallet and he counted his money. I don't imagine what it was that he was there to buy at the end of this trip the next day. Maybe he was going to buy himself a pair of jeans and a cheap DVD, you know, they bootleg them all over there for pretty cheap. But he bought her Freedom that night for $900 good story but it doesn't end there nine hundred dollars and she was free it seems to me that uh, this is a very practical demonstration of uh, what was done on the cross freedom the story doesn't end there because you see we needed someone we needed a staff member and quickly we would just received thirty children that we needed to care for. They'd been victims of extreme poverty. Here was a woman that had such tenacity to help her children, had gone to extreme measures to try and make sure her children were cared for. What a moral compass she had set in the right direction. And we took her to work with us, and we took her children, and she got a small loan from us that was not with interest. And she started a small tuck shop making and creating and selling and making some profit to pay back her loan. And at the same time, she worked part-time caring for some other children that we were looking after. Six weeks later, she asked this question, a question that it's possible that some of you may have never asked before in this context. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? She's gone back to her community. She's gone back to share Jesus' love. What will you do? I'm just finishing up, guys. What would Jesus do? What will you do? Well, here's a few things you can do. You can join a volunteer team. You can join our mailing list. You can like us on Facebook. You can rescue a child. You can donate or you can come tonight to booth 201 over there. Just go through the first door and turn right in the expo hall and you'll find us, booth 201, and come and talk to us. On our website, there's a little button. It's there. There's a screenshot. You can. It says, welcome people from GYC. You can have a look on our website. There's things you can do. And right here are the links. You can take your smartphone out right now and you can plug them in, and you can find us later after your session this afternoon, after the seminars. We need you. We need your help. I want to thank you for the opportunity. I've been able to come and share with you a little of what's going on our world in Asia. I would like to propose that you continue to pray for these victims and these children and please if you remember pray for esther and i in the work that we do thank you so much and god bless you this message was recorded at the gyc
0: 2014 conference at the cross in phoenix arizona gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh day adventures church seeks to inspire young people to be bible-based christ-centered and soul-winning christians To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.